Thanks, you guys. Awesome. Well, it's good to be with you guys tonight. If I haven't met you before, my name's Tim. And um, we just started a series last week. We had a combined service last week. We had both our congregations together, which was really awesome, just to sort of have everyone together and play sport and have lunch and hang out. And it was, it was good. And I just sort of shared a brief overview of um, a new vision statement we have, which is kind of around, like, what's the purpose of being a church and, and having a church here, uh, what, what we're here for, why we exist. And I kind of just went through it pretty brief last week. And what we're going to do now over the next five weeks, including tonight, is kind of just unpack it a bit in a bit more depth. Um, so this is the statement. It's a bit wordy, but we're going to unpack it and go into depth with it. So basically, the reason we exist as a church, the, the vision, the purpose, is to see the kingdom of God realized. And we're going to really talk about what that means tonight. By being a growing family. So we want to be a community, a family. We don't just sort of rock up and, and not know each other, but actually know each other and live together. We're actually a family of people who are devoted to following Jesus, who love him wholeheartedly, with our whole hearts, and live as his people in the world. So the kind of idea is that, like sometimes when we talk about vision, and like um, lots of churches have visions, or like, businesses have visions or schools have visions and often it's kind of like a really specific thing it's like we want to have this many people and we want to have a big building or we want to have these certain things and it's like that's not really what we're talking about this vision is quite broad because rivers isn't really like this place that's like super centralized and super organized and like it's like a machine with everything going and all the parts working in the same it's like not really like that rivers is more kind of like a garden that's a bit messy and there's lots of different things happening and people are kind of empowered and released and people get ideas and initiatives and they go with it. And, and it's kind of, there's something that feels really good about that. But the downside of that is that people are doing this thing over here and this thing over here and this thing over here and then it's kind of just all over the place and there's nothing that really brings it together. So the idea of having a vision or a vision statement is like, well, what's the thing that brings everything we do as a church together? Because we don't just meet on Sunday some of these guys have been on camp on the weekend with Boys Brigade. Um, people are out. There's, there's prayer every morning. Now there's, there's um, home groups throughout the week. There's youth group. There's food distribution. There's like so many things that happen in this community. But there's a purpose. So we want to underline everything and actually bring it together. Is what we're kind of getting at in the vision. And part of it is that everything that we do, each person in our church, will be committed to these three goals. To knowing God and loving him wholeheartedly to knowing and worshipping and loving God, to be growing as devoted followers of Jesus together. So even as we come to church today, part of the reason is to love and know God in worship. And then it's to grow as we study his word and we share and we, we hear and we do it together. And then going and living as his people in the world. And then we actually go out and then this week you go to your work or your school or to uni and you're there representing Jesus. You're his people in the world. That you've connected with him in worship and we've learnt. And then you live for him. And that idea is that actually we are the light of the world. That people recognize and see good things through us and see how God is good. So we want each person to be devoted to these things. And then each ministry of the church. That These are the goals. So we want to be growing in knowing, growing and going at all times. So basically what we're going to do tonight is just kind of unpack this first bit a bit. To see the kingdom of God realized. Because uh, this is kind of strange language, maybe. Like, we don't really know what kingdoms are like. We don't really talk much about kingdoms. Um, we live in a democracy. 
and maybe like we have the queen on the coin, but it doesn't really mean that much to most people. Um, but the kingdom of God is a real important theme in the Bible. And it's actually something that Jesus spoke about a lot. It's actually basically Jesus' main message. And we continue what Jesus came to do. Jesus said to his followers at the end, he said, as the Father sent me, I send you. So we actually, Jesus has, has completed his part and then he sends his church by the Spirit 2,000 years ago. And this story is still going and we're a part of it. And we carry the same message of the kingdom of God. See this, Jesus said this here at the start of Jesus' ministry. After John was put in prison, he went into Galilee and he was proclaiming the good news of God. And this was the good news Jesus spoke about. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, that means change your mind, change your direction, and believe the good news. And we might say, well, Jesus is really excited about that, but what, are, what does that even mean? <laughs> Why is that even good news? Like the kingdom of God, that sounds great. Like, like for us, without a backstory, without a context, that may not really sound like good news. That might kind of sound like, well, what's the point of that? Well, that might even kind of sound like bad news because probably for the most part, we don't really like kings. We like, we like kings when we kind of watch Lord of the Rings. That's cool. And we like kings and queens when there's like a royal wedding and people like watching that and taking photos. Like we like the picture and we like the story. But the idea of someone having absolute power over us, <laughs> we don't like that. Like, imagine if someone was just in charge of Australia and everything they said goes. Like, they are the king. Like, we just don't live in that kind of world or with that kind of mindset. Like, we live in a democracy. We, we live in an individualistic society. We, we, we have great freedom. Um, we can vote. We can influence things. In a kingdom, you don't vote. <laughs> like, whatever the king wants happens. So this is kind of a problem because Jesus comes as king with good news. Mark says, says it this way. The gospel, the good news proclaims that Jesus is king. The great problem is that we, as good 21st century citizens of democracy, don't like kings. The idea that Jesus would be king, that Jesus actually has authority, that Jesus actually rules, may not necessarily sound like good news to us. Because we kind of live in a story and we might have a certain perception of a king or a queen. We might sort of think that they're someone who just uses their power for themselves, or they just kind of are fancy and rich and don't care. Well, maybe we're just not really interested. That's just not even in our worldview at all, the idea of a king. And it's because we, we live in a story, and the story we live in is the story of Australia and the story of Western democracy, which, like I said, is really individualistic. It says that, really, life is about us and our freedom. And we're at the center of our story most of the time. You are free to live whatever life you want and to make whatever choices you want and to build whatever identity you want. And that that's kind of the story that we're told. And that actually freedom and unlimited freedom is actually what will lead to a good life and lead to a good world. And actually majority rule is the best type of rule. And that's kind of just the air we breathe from secular Western culture. That, that just seems normal. So the idea of living in a kingdom sounds really strange. But actually, we're called to be people that don't just live out of the story of the culture or just the story that we were brought up in, or the story that we just sort of see in the news. We're actually called to be people who live out of the story of the Bible, which is a different story. And actually, the idea of a king and a kingdom is a real key theme and, and, and aspect of this story. And the idea when we read the Bible, the Bible is not just this book that just gives us some good tips about life. The Bible is claiming to record the true history of the world, and it's actually recording a story that's still going, that we're a part of. 
it, it, it talks about what will happen in the end, but the end hasn't come. So when we read the Bible, we're reading it as God's story and a story that actually when we understand his story, we understand our place in it. It's actually not primarily a book or story about us. It's actually primarily a story about God and Jesus. And when we understand that story, we find our place in it. We're actually not the central character. God is. So what I want to do tonight is really briefly give you like an overview of the story of the Bible. I'm going to try and go pretty fast, particularly through this idea and this theme of king. Because we need to live in this story if the idea that God's kingdom has come and Jesus has come is going to be good news. Because for us, kind of in our culture, it kind of just sounds like irrelevant or not good news. But in the story of the Bible, it's really, really good news. So what I'm going to do is, is go through, there's this, this way of reading the Bible, this, this sort of summarizes it simply called Plan A, Plan B, Plan A Revised. All around kingdoms and God's story in the Bible. So I'm going to go through this, read out some verses. I'll try and go pretty quick, um, see if you can follow along. And um, let's just pray, though, before we do that. So we, we want to open ourselves up to a different story of the world, a different way to understand life that starts with God, not with us. So as we go through, you might be sort of thinking, well, what does this even have to do with me? It's actually, well, it's first about God. And when we understand his story, we find our place. So let's, let's pray, and then we're going to start going through a stack of, stack of scripture. Yeah, Father, thank you uh, that you're our God, that we get to worship you, and thank you for your word and your truth and your goodness. Jesus, thank you for how you've revealed yourself into our hearts and lives. And yeah, just even as we look at your word tonight, would you speak to us by your spirit? Um, would you show us your good news of your kingdom? Uh, would you just show us your life and, and, and path to freedom and joy? And just, yeah, just guard this time, God. Would you speak to us and open our minds and hearts to your word in your name? Amen. Okay, so plan A starts right back at the start of the story of the Bible. That actually everything starts with God. That God creates the world out of nothing. He, he is the creator king. And he is actually God who is king. But the interesting thing is that he actually creates people to rule as well, to rule under him. So plan A is God as king with his people ruling under him. It actually says this in Genesis. I don't know if you've noticed this before when it talks about creating humans. Like it's implicit that God is king. He's the creator. He's the one who spoke everything into existence. But then God said, let us make mankind or humans in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea. That's interesting. God made humans to rule. I don't know if you ever noticed that before. He actually makes us to rule over the fish, sea, birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that move along the ground. God is king, but he actually sets up humans made in his image. He delegates authority that, in a sense, they are like kings and queens on the earth to rule it for God, to rule it under God, submitted to God, but still having power and authority to rule over all the animals, over all the creation. And God says, go be fruitful, multiply, cultivate the earth, and, and rule it. But we know the story goes wrong pretty quickly, and we sort of tell the story that, that, that Adam and Eve didn't trust God, and they didn't follow God, but in some ways, the, the, what goes wrong is actually to do with God as king and us ruling. And actually, that we didn't want to rule under God, but we wanted to rule ourselves. Scott McKnight says it this way, what are the image bearers to do? What are humans to do? They're appointed to rule for God, under God, to rule the earth. The fall is from this task. 
That is, Adam and Eve decide they want to rule like God instead of ruling under God, which means Adam and Eve are usurpers. Similar thing, they don't want God as king. They want to be king themselves. They want to rule themselves instead of under God as God. The story of sin in the Bible is the story of God's people wanting to be God-like instead of godly, of ruling instead of sub-ruling and being ruled. So God's plan was that he was king and people would rule under him, but things go wrong when people take that authority and say, actually, no, we want to be king. We want to rule. We don't want to submit to God, but want to do it in our own strength, in our own way. But plan A keeps going because God actually says, well, he shows mercy, he shows grace. Adam and Eve have to leave the garden, but he continues to love them. And he actually picks a people uh, with this man named Abraham. This story starts in Genesis 12. God picks a man. He promises he's going to have great descendants and a nation is going to come from him. And the plan still is that God is king. And now this people rule. This people are the people that reveal God. This people are the people that cultivate the world and, and bless the world. And God rules through them. Even in Exodus God talks about them being a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So plan A is God ruling as king through his people. Even though it goes wrong, he still keeps going on this plan with Israel. He creates this people. He takes them out of Egypt. He sends them into the promised land. And the idea is that God is the king of this people. And they are living as humans are meant to live, trusting and ruling under God, not rejecting his rule. But we see pretty quickly that that goes bad as well. And God has to resort to plan B. There's this thing that happens, I don't know if you know the story, in in Samuel, which is God's people, Israel, have been through the wilderness, they've come into the promised land, they've had different people ruling them, and then Samuel is this prophet who's been ruling them, but he's old. And his sons are not going to be very good rulers. So there's this story in 1 Samuel 8. It says, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. And they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. That's pretty blunt, right? <laughs> now appoint a king to lead us, such as the other nations have. So they come to Samuel, who's representing God, who's ruling on behalf of God, not as a king, but as God's representative. And they say, we don't want that anymore. We want our own king. And God speaks to Samuel and says this. He says, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. They do the same thing that Adam and Eve do. They reject God's rule. They want their own. Israel rejects God's rule. They want their own king. He says, as they have done. They've done this from the day I brought them out of Egypt until the day forsaking me, serving other gods. So they are doing to you. He says, now listen to them. But warn them and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. God makes a concession and takes plan B, which is actually a human king ruling Israel. That was not God's plan. God was king. And they they said, well, we want a king. God says, I'm already your king, but okay, if that's what you want. And God says, it's not a good idea. If you put a human king, a human king naturally is not going to rule under God. A human king is going to rule for themselves So this human king, he warns them, is going to tax them like crazy, is going to neglect the poor, is going to serve other gods. It's going to go bad. But God honors their requests and goes through part B, plan B. And in plan B, there's one or a few kings that are good, 
one of the main ones is David. David is a king who actually honors God, who loves God, and God rules through David. And David becomes this picture of a human king that loves and honors God. But the story, for the most part, just gets worse and worse and worse. That there's a king, and they just live for themselves. They just build these amazing palaces. Kind of all the things that we don't like about kings, they do. They just get rich. They take all the stuff for themselves. They just work people really hard. They tell people what to do. And if you don't listen to them, you die. And it's just not a good situation. And it gets so, so, so bad that eventually this group of people who are a kingdom that are meant to represent God are like worse than the people around them even. And God has to come in judgment. And this nation who's meant to have God, the creator as their king, is sent into exile, which means they're sent out of their land. They're sent into another nation, another kingdom, under other rulers. It's actually this tragic story of they've just gotten worse and worse and worse, and God has warned them again and again and again. And eventually, what you would think would be indestructible, a city, a nation that God creates, is destroyed. And they're taken into Babylon. And it's a foreign land. And other kings that don't honor God, and people are just distraught. And they're frustrated. And they long for the day when God actually ruled, when God was in charge. And this goes on, if you know the story, they're in Babylon for 70 years and eventually they come back to the land, but it's still not the same because there's still other kings, they're ruled by Persia and then they're ruled by all different um, nations and then it keeps changing and then sometimes people revolt and they, like, they want to take it over and they, they want to have the freedom and then it le- le- leads to bloodshed and, and evil. And this is, ends up being the case at Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, Israel are in the land but the Romans are ruling them, so they're not in, a, in their own kingdom. There's other king over them, and they're waiting. They're waiting for the day that God comes back. They're waiting for the day that God rules again, because they've been, they've been looking for that. They're looking for when the exile would end, when God once again sat on the throne and ruled the land. And there's even promises all through the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah, there's promises about a king who would come, even a king who would suffer, a king who would come whose throne would never end. There's this promise in Isaiah that he will be like David. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing, upholding it with justice from that time on and forever. They keep looking for this king who will come. And like David honored God, like God ruled that actually things will be put right. Things will come back into place. Because plan B was not good. (laughs) And human king ruling Israel led to evil and destruction and exile. So they're waiting, looking for a king who would be like David. So that's the story, right? That's the story of the Bible in a lot of ways. That's the story of Israel. And people are waiting. And then Jesus rocks up. And there's already been people who have started to talk about them, maybe that they're the Messiah, or people even have claimed that they're the king, and then they die and they're defeated and no one notices them anymore. This is like everyone's waiting for this king in the time of Jesus. But Jesus rocks up and he starts to say, There's good news. And he says, This the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. These people have been waiting, longing waiting for the time that God would return as king, and Jesus is saying, now's the time. And he's saying more than that. He's saying, I'm it. I'm the king who will rule, who will rescue, who will redeem, 
who will take you from, from this oppression, who will take you from evil. And Jesus even demonstrates that he delivers people from evil and darkness and sickness and death. He comes with God's power to rule. You see, plan A was God ruling through Israel. Plan B was ideally David, but then also an Israelite king ruling. Although not usually very well because humans don't do God right. Scott McKnight. Under Jesus, plan A takes on a new form. How so? God returns to plan A because in Jesus, God now rules once again. You see, plan A, God rules. No human king. Plan B, he accommodates a human king. Plan A, revised, is actually God comes to rule as a human king in Jesus. He comes to establish his rule over his people. He, he, he revises it and actually he is a king like David and even greater than David whose throne will never end. He comes to rescue, he comes to redeem, he comes to love his people. This was what they were all waiting for. That's why it's such good news. And the story of the Bible then is, is Jesus has come and he's rescued through his death and resurrection and that the story keeps going then and the church comes to spread that message of Jesus' kingdom and Jesus' goodness and that actually one day the future of everything is that Jesus wouldn't just reign over his people but over all the earth. It says this at the end of the, the story in the book of Revelation, that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Jesus, Jesus says the kingdom has come, and it has come with him, but the story of the Bible goes to this picture at the end, when one day God will be king over all the world. Everything will be in line with his will. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's where everything's going, but it started with him. That's actually the story that we live in. So this is, this is good news. But again, we might sort of think, well, it's still a king though. Like, he still has authority. And, and maybe we don't want to submit to authority. And we just want to honor our freedom. And we just want to be our own person. But the interesting thing is, Jesus is not a king like we would think of a king. Jesus is not a king like the bad kings of Israel who just live for themselves and, and dominate and just take take things and, and abuse. Jesus is actually a king of an upside-down kingdom. His kingdom is not what we would expect because he had all authority and all power. He was in heaven, in his, 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 in, picture it like in his mansion, in his castle, but he left it to come to earth, even to be born as a baby, even in a stable. He's the king of the universe and he's not even born in a house let alone a palace. He's a humble king. We might sort of think of kings with their, their crowns and kind of like just, just have this power and this authority. But when Jesus is crowned, when Jesus takes his authority in his kingdom, his crown is of thorns. He suffers as a king. He's not a king who rules through oppression and domination. He's a king who rules through redemption through love, even through service. He even says in his kingdom, if you want to be great, you become a servant like he did, the ultimate servant who even washes his disciples' feet. That's the kind of king he is. And we sort of think of kings as having thrones and kind of just commanding and being maybe distant and far away. But when Jesus becomes king, his throne is a cross. He's lifted up on the cross and he dies 
for the sin of his people. They rejected, we rejected his rule, but he continues with his plan to rule humanity and he does it and he defeats evil and death by taking it on himself. And, and when you read the story of, of the Gospels and when it comes to Jesus going to the cross, it's like he's becoming king. They, they put a robe on him. They put a crown of thorns on him. They, they mock him. They say, oh, hail Jesus. They put him on a cross and up, up front of, above his head they say, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. And then they're mocking him. They think this is all a joke. But the truth is that is Jesus, king of the Jews. And he is defeating them. He's actually ruling. He's actually in control in that situation. He is having the victory because he's a king who defeats evil and death and sin through the power of love. And he does it. And he rises from the dead. And now he is in charge of all. He is at the right hand of God. He is alive and he gives us his spirit and he's at work in the world. And that's the king we're called to submit to and trust and love. Mark Sayers puts it, this way. We are people who give up our autonomy, not to unjust rulers or authorities, but to the one true king, the one good king, the king who has taken all of our rebellion, our sin, our injustice upon himself. We lay our authority and autonomy down at the feet of the king with scars. That's the king we trust and submit to. It's his kingdom that we live in and for. And the reason that we're here as a church is because that's who he is and because that's what he's done. And his goal is that that kingdom of love and justice and redemption and grace would spread to all the earth. And he actually wants to do it through his church. He actually gives his spirit. And we are here to see his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, realized to see people redeemed and come to know him and trust him, to see justice and goodness in the earth, to see Jesus lifted up and recognized for who he is. That's actually why we're here. We're not here primarily just because having a church is a good idea. We're not here just to have some community. We're here because of Jesus and because of who he is. And actually our purpose is in line with the whole story of history, that actually God is working in history towards his kingdom coming in full, and he invites us to play a part in that. Us to play a part of actually representing him, living with him as king, serving him, offering our lives in love and service and sacrifice to see that he is recognized and people realize who he is and trust and follow him. We don't establish our own kingdom. We pray the Lord's Prayer, which says, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That actually when everything's in line with Jesus, it's heaven. When God's will is done, that's what heaven is like. And we live to pray and to work and to witness and to seek that that would happen, that his kingdom, heaven, would come to earth. We want to see his kingdom realized. And the story that we kind of normally live in, which is the story of like Australia, secularism and, and Western sort of democracy and individualism and that life is really about us and we just get to write our own story and come up with our own meaning and come up with our own identity and we just have freedom to be whoever you want to be and you can just do whatever you want to do. And, and like we just hear that so much and there's something about it that sounds right and sounds good. But if you actually think about it, 
if we actually reflect on your life, if we actually kind of look at our society and culture, to live like that is actually exhausting. <laughs> to just live with it all on you. To live def- trying to define yourself, protect yourself, defend yourself, build your own identity, find our own sense of meaning, find our own future and hope, actually is just draining and exhausting. And it's actually good news that there's a king. It's actually good news that there's a God and we are created. It's actually good news that he loves us enough to die for us. It's actually good news to submit to and trust and follow his way because we don't know the way. We, we might be able to figure it out, but we, we, it's not going to go well. That's what we see all through history. But Jesus knows the way. And actually following his way is good and full of truth and life because he's demonstrated its goodness. So we, we get to recognize this good news that God is king. And we get to trust and live with him as king and actually get to live in a kingdom. Actually get to live with a God who rules, not by authority and and oppression, but by self-giving love, sacrifice and service. And he calls us, like he called humans at the start, to rule the earth under him. He calls us to represent him and go and spread his kingdom rule and his love as we serve and love and sacrifice and give to see his kingdom realize. So that's, that's a, such a different story to live by. And to see this vision is, is a call to live out of that story, to let our minds be reshaped by the story of the Bible, to trust and see that he is the good king and to follow him. And one thing that we do here to, to help us do that is every week we take communion. And in a sense, every week we re-enter that story. Every week we actually do a physical act of eating a biscuit representing his body and, and, and taking and dipping in the juice representing his blood. And we actually do an act to relive the story, to remember the night Jesus was betrayed, to remember that the king, the, the God at the center of the world would offer his son, would offer his life for us. And that's the center of everything. And every week we come back to that so that we can remind ourselves, actually, the story is not about me, it's about Jesus. And actually, it's good that it's about him because he's the good king. And actually, I find my meaning and purpose and place in his kingdom. We trust, receive his grace and love again, and we offer ourselves to his service again. So we're going to respond by taking communion tonight. And so if you believe this story, if you believe in Jesus, if you trust him, if you love him, we're invited to take communion. And, and as we do that, to, to let him shape our lives, let him meet with us, let us submit again to his lordship as king, and trust in his grace and his love. So let's, let's stand together, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll come, and when you're ready, you can take communion, and then, and then we're going to sing and respond. Yeah, Father, we just thank you that you are so good, uh, that you're a God who perseveres with humans, even through their bad plans and bad ideas, God, you even honor our bad decisions and you don't control. And then you even redeem them, even though it's a great cost to you, even going to a cross. And we just ask that you would reveal yourself in greater ways to us, the, the truth of who you are, Jesus, the truth of, of this world and the story of it and what you're doing, God. Open our eyes even to lies and other stories and and. and 
beliefs that we have that aren't in line with you, God, would they just drop off? And we just pray as we, as we even just come now and do this act that you told us to do, to remember you, um, to take the biscuit, the juice, your body and blood, and, and to eat it in remembrance of you, God. Would this story become more real? Would, would it enter our mind and heart and emotions? And God, would it just be such good news that you are king, that you are Lord, that you've died for us, that you're alive and that you're coming again? So would you meet with us now by your spirit? And God, will we be a church that exists not for its own sake, but for you and for your kingdom and for what you're doing in the world? And would you use us in this region that people would recognize you and see your goodness and trust you, God? So just offer ourselves to you afresh in your name. Amen. As you're ready, feel free to.